You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. It's really good to be back with you all again, although I have to say I'm really sorry not to be able to look out at our Riverview people and to see your faces responding to the word, albeit behind masks. Well, it's a disappointment, but the town hall is, of course, being used today to vaccinate Bones people, which will bring us all closer to a time when we'll be free to sing out and to worship as we come together to do church. So I can put up with having to look at myself on a screen again while I'm speaking, and at least I've been able to have my hair done. Can you believe it? We're on number five of Jesus' I am statements, his proclamation of his deity and more about who he is for his people. Who is this Jesus? Well, he can best answer it from John's gospel when he says himself in chapter six and verse 35, I am the bread of life. In chapter eight and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10 and verse 9, he says, I am the door. And the most tender of all, in chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So much we learn about his character in these verses. But there's still another four to do. And I'm enjoying learning. And I hope you're enjoying getting into the word to do this too. Today, we're going to consider his declaration. I am the resurrection and the life. So let's read it from John chapter 11. It happens in the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So it's quite a lengthy scripture reading, but it puts it all in context. And I think it's really important to do that. So let's start at verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the Lord's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back there. Verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go with them. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, look how he loved him. And some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour. He's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. The statement sits right in the middle of the chapter in verse 25. Again, there's so much we can learn from this amazing statement. But always, most importantly, is how it affects us today. What does it mean for us? You know, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was not the last miracle Jesus performed while on earth. But it was definitely his greatest and one which aroused the biggest response from both his friends and from the Jewish authorities. See, of course, Jesus had raised others from the dead, but no one who'd been in the grave for four days as Lazarus had. It was a miracle that could not be denied. The emphasis on John 11 is on faith. At least eight times in this account of the miracle, the word believe crops up. If you, we are unsure what the scripture might be saying to us, Remember, faith is what we need to have. Jesus did this miracle to strengthen the faith of three groups of people. And if you count us, four. Those three groups were his disciples, his sis the, the two sisters and the Jews. Some who believed 
and some who ran off to the Pharisees to clipe on Jesus. So three points to note as we go through this greatest miracle to bring out from these verses. And they all start with the letter P to help us remember. The first is that Jesus is the greatest person to ever have lived. The second is that Jesus holds the greatest of all powers. And the third, that Jesus extends the greatest of all promises. So first of all, Jesus is the greatest person ever to have lived. How can I say that? There have been other great men and women, but Jesus is the greatest. And of course, he's no ordinary man. As Christians, we know that he was completely man while at the same time being completely God. He is God demeaning himself to come to where we are, to lift us up to where he is. Who but God could ever conceive such a plan? Who but our God would ever love mankind so much that he would do this? You know, when you fully grasp this amazing truth, you're going to fall in love with a God who would do this just for you. So let's have a look at this family from Bethany to ascertain exactly what it's about, what it is about Jesus that makes me really confident to say he's the greatest person ever to have lived. What led to the scene where we find these two sisters of Lazarus grieving because their beloved brother has died? You remember that Jesus made a statement in chapter 10 of John's Gospel, just the, the previous chapter. And verses 29 and 30, here's his statement. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Now the response from the Jews was instantaneous. They picked up stones to stone him. They said he was committing blasphemy because he, they said he was a mere man. But this is God's son, clearly foretold throughout the Old Testament, and yet they still would not believe. He came to his own, but his own received him not. So Jesus escapes their, their capture attempts and leaves Jerusalem, and he goes back across the Jordan River, where many believed in him. So he's a good day's distance away from Bethany, when a messenger comes to tell him that Lazarus is very sick. The sisters believe Jesus will come and heal their brother. That's why they've sent for him. If you've got a message like that, you would leave everything and rush to be at the bedside to bring comfort. But Jesus stayed where he was for another two days. And it's not until the third day when he sets off to travel to Bethany and another day before he would arrive there. We know that Lazarus probably died just as the messenger left to take the news that, that Lazarus was sick. Even today, Jews are buried the day after their death. So Lazarus has been dead for four days. You know, those of us, those of you who came to visit us when we lived in Israel know what the temperatures are like. And, and I'm sorry to say that even if you didn't manage to visit, you were following us on Facebook and I just couldn't resist photographing the temperature gauge in the car to show you the temperature. It was hot, hot, hot. A dead body stood no chance of not decaying. 
The messenger was sent to say Lazarus was sick, but we know that Jesus told his disciples, Lazarus is dead. He knew he was dead, but he stayed where he was. I think there's something we can learn from this. See, the urgent need was to heal Lazarus of his sickness and prevent him from dying. But the important thing from God's point of view was to let him die and then raise him from the dead. We need to learn to separate the urgent from the important too. And that's hard. But we need to find out what God is really wanting to do. It's why we pray. Why we listen when we're praying. Why we're praying for our town this month. Because we know what we want God to do, but we have to listen to what he's saying, what he wants to do, and how he'll use us to do it. He loves Bones even more than me. And I love my town dearly, as you, I know that you're aware. So on the fourth day, when Jesus arrives and meets Martha and then Mary, they're both full of faith that if only he'd been there, Lazarus would not have died. And much as they know he'll rise at the last day, still, if only Jesus had been there, if only he'd come straight away and not waited, they wouldn't have lost their brother. He would have been healed. They're devastated. I've lost a brother and I know some of you have too. I know, I know just how these sisters felt. There are people there who are comforting the sisters, who could sympathise and weep with them, but there was nothing else they could do. Lazarus was dead. He was buried. He was gone. He was no longer in their home or in their lives. But then Jesus arrives. He starts to talk about resurrection, not for the future, but for now, for today. He's going to do something far greater than the sisters could ever have imagined. You know, we want Jesus to do what we want him to do now, straight away, no waiting. But we can learn a great deal about the workings of God from this miracle. It's really hard to wait. When we've prayed for someone for what seems an eternity, when we've cried out to him again and again for what we think we need, we want it now. But God's timing is always right and we don't understand that, but we have to believe it. Waiting for two days before coming meant Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Oh boy, this would have to be some miracle. But you know, Jesus is always up to the occasion. He always knows exactly what he's doing. He is without doubt the greatest person ever to have lived. Secondly, Jesus holds the greatest of all powers. There have been a great many men and women who have lasting legacies to be remembered for. They made such a huge difference throughout their lifetimes and we really still honour them for their achievements. I'm thinking of people like Alexander Fleming or Marie Curie or Martin Luther King or Emmeline Pankhurst. As soon as you hear the name, you know just what it was they did, the difference they made. But no one has made the difference Jesus did. Or should I say the difference Jesus does because of his resurrection, because he rose from the dead, because he lives forevermore, because he is God the Son, because he is the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus made this I am statement a long time before the cross, before he arose from the dead. Selwyn Hughes says, Jesus didn't have to die and come back from the grave to become the resurrection and the life. He carried it from all eternity. He immediately demonstrated his power over death to Mary and to Martha. His creative word was irresistible. And when he called Lazarus from the tomb, death gave way to life, just as darkness gives way to light. We've probably all heard the story of the preacher who said, Jesus had to name Lazarus as he commanded him to come from the tomb or the whole graveyard would have arisen. Such is his power. Verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says it. Take it literally, Martha. I'm not just bringing you hope for the future, amazing as that is. I'm talking about now. Don't limit who I am. I believe we need to hear this today. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life is still saying it today. He's still saying, I'm bringing you hope for the, not, not just for the future, but for now. Don't limit who I am. You know, the unsaved person is not just sick, they're spiritually dead. Tom preached on this on Resurrection Morning. We know they're dead because we know that when a person is physically dead, they don't respond to such things as temperature or pain. Spiritually, it's exactly the same. We can't understand it, can we? But we know there is just no response to the Bible or to church or to Christians. The non-Christian just does not see it at all. And we can't understand how they can't see it when it's so clear to us. Until Lazarus was raised, he was completely and utterly dead. Until our non-Christian friends and family are touched by Jesus, they're completely and utterly dead. But we need to keep telling them by the lives we live and by our words. There are three physical resurrections recorded in the New Testament apart from Jesus, and they were very different because there was a child, a 12-year-old, in Luke chapter 8. There was a young man in Luke chapter 7, and then there was Lazarus, an older man that we're talking about today in John 11. Children are sinners, born into sin. But open corruption has not yet set in. And take note, I'm not saying that a child who dies is bound for hell, because that's not what I believe. Young people are sinners whose outward corruption is just beginning to show. And adults are sinners whose definite outward corruption can be seen. But the point I'm making is that they are all dead. Because one person can't be more dead than another. The only difference is the level of decay. The moral church member is not as decayed in the same way as the cold-blooded murderer. But both are dead and, because, and, and both need to Jesus. Because he's the only one who can raise people from the dead. He could raise all these people from the dead because he has the power. No one else has power like this. Jesus is the only one who could raise from the dead. Lazarus was brought back from the dead, even though he'd been dead four days and the level of decay would have been great. It could only be Jesus, God, 
who has power to do this because he is the great I am, because he is the resurrection and the life. Why did Jesus lay, raise Lazarus? Because he loved him and it brought glory to Father God. Why did he raise me from spiritual death? Because he loves me and it brought glory to Father God. Salvation is not a set of rules, it's life. This life is a person, a risen saviour, who has conquered death forever by his death and resurrection. When dead sinners hear the voice of the Son of God through his word and believe, they are given eternal life. We need to keep on praying for our families and our friends, for our townspeople, that they will hear the voice of God because to reject the word is to be dead forever. But here we have it. Jesus commands Lazarus to arise from the dead and to come out of the grave. And when he did, he was still bound hand and foot and would have needed help to free himself. We don't need to be bound by the grave clothes of our old lives. We need to be church together to help loose each other, to pray for each other, to be there for each other. We're in this together, Riverview, and we're all part of each other. We don't need to be bound by the grave clothes of our old lives. Some people need to hear this more than others, but everyone needs to hear it. We're not bound by the grave clothes of our old lives. He has set us free and he's put us together so that we can do freedom together. Of course, Lazarus rising from the dead made quite a stir. We've just read that many saw what happened and believed in Christ. After all, he was a walking miracle. The great crowd who gathered waving their palm branches and shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday were there because they'd seen what Jesus did for Lazarus. It was tangible. It couldn't, couldn't be denied. And it's what God still expects of the born-again Christian, that they will show life to everyone around them. To witness is a privilege, but it's also the duty of every Christian. Jesus surely holds the greatest of all powers. No one can do what he did. No one is the resurrection and the life except him. And finally, number three, Jesus extends the greatest of all promises. He promises believers eternal life. They will never die. Tom talked a few weeks ago on Resurrection Sunday of physical death or life, spiritual death or life, or, and eternal death or life. All our choice. But the promise is, when we know and trust him, we have life. We have eternal life. He gives it to us. You know, life is short. You realise that the older you get. The psalmist says we should expect 70 to 80 years. I think doctors and scientists would maybe extend that slightly more today. Some don't even have that, while some have more. But it's short, no matter how long it is. But the promise of Jesus is life everlasting. Life that is real life. No more pain, no more tears, no more ageing, no more suffering, no more losing. Life everlasting in the presence of the King of Kings. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you know the greatest person to ever have lived? 
really know him? Are you resting in his great power? Are you trusting in his great promises? You need to answer for yourself. If you need any help, please call us. We'd be delighted to introduce you to the one who is the resurrection and the life. God come to man so man could come to God. And for those of us who know him, Christians, let's keep sharing Jesus that our families and our friends and our townspeople might open their hearts to hear Jesus and his truth for themselves. Amen. God bless you all and have a great week.